welcome everybody to another show inside White Center. Thank you all for tuning in and listening. Uh, we have a very, very special guest today, but before we get to him, uh, we do have a, kind of a new addition to the show, and uh, it's uh, Mrs. Lisa Nguyen. And she's been on our podcast team. She uh, uh, working in the backgrounds and curating questions and doing research on our guests and whatnot. She's part of the the uh, the the uh, the flow of this team. And so, uh, how you feel about the, the today, Lisa? I feel pretty good. Thanks, yeah. Frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very excited to be here and co-hosting with Frank here and. Excited to talk with our special guests. Mm -hmm. uh, just before we get to that, we just wanted to get a little background. Uh, like you were born in White Center, as uh, or where are you? You're from here. No, I'm you're not. Oh man, okay. I was actually born in Chicago. Whoa, what? Yeah. <laughs> Windy City, huh? Yeah. I didn't even. Well, know this. <laughs> my. So I, I was born in Chicago, but I was only there for three months, so I don't know much of it. Mm -hmm. So I was brought to Seattle gotcha. afterwards. So yeah. have you ever, have you been back since? Then? No, but I would love to. I heard yeah, my mom Chicago's has stories, right. and it's she huge. Was, yeah, I, I definitely do want to go back at some point with my mom. Fantastic, mm -hmm. awesome, awesome. Well, without further ado, by, by the way, thank you, Lisa, and just so happy to have you co-hosting with me today. Uh, uh, without further ado, I want to go ahead and uh, bring up our guest, Mr. Hugo Garcia. Hey, <laughs> what up, y'all? Hey, Super popping. excited to be here, y'all. Thank you so much for the invitation and this opportunity to just chop it up. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah so yeah, back. Hugo Garcia, uh, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> Always wanted to say that on the radio, <laughs> on, on podcast, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know that you're really doing it. Yeah. Right? Uh, no, yeah, yeah, man. And uh, grew up in uh, White Center, unincorporated King County mo most of my life. Came here as a kid from Mexico as an eight-year-old. Nice. So uh, this is my home. I'm a, I'm a, you know, White Center kid, Seattle light, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But uh, this area, this community is where I grew up. Yeah. That's fantastic. Excited to be here. Thank you for thank you for joining us on the show today. Um, I know you've been a pretty busy man, and, and so we really, just really appreciate the time that you've taken out to come and talk with us. Uh, so before we even get to like the you know the really deep nitty gritty stuff of yeah. your life and your busy schedule, uh, wanted to know just about you know you are you uh, moved here from uh, Guadalajara. Yeah, right? Guadalajara, and, Guadalajara. Uh, <laughs> Guadalajara, Guadalajara. Fantastic. That's I a famous it. song uh, of that city. And yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I moved when I was eight years old, came here in, I think, third grade. I didn't know any any English at all, uh, but and I didn't want to come. I remember I was sad and crying about having to leave my friends. Yeah. Mm. But my mom kept saying, you're going to get to see your dad, and they have a Disney channel all day. <laughs> and I was like, okay, 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 that, that, I'm, okay I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Now, did, All right. did your dad already live in the States? Yeah, so my dad had been here in the early 80s. He had actually come up here uh, to get some seed money to start a business. Yeah. So he had actually been working. He had a pretty good job. I would say he had a middle class job in Mexico, actually, uh, where he was like the production manager for a shoe company that did like long lines of production of mass production of shoes. Okay. It was the largest manufacturer of shoes in Mexico. Right. And ironically enough, the company was called Canada. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like Canada. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it was like a huge, you know, uh, in the 60s, 70s, um, it was like the Nike of 
not Nike, I want like dress shoes. So I guess they're more dress shoes. But anyhow, he was doing that. And, um, you know, in the early, late 70s, early early 80s, economies were changing. And he, he knew that the um, gentleman who had started the company, family got family business started in a garage, um, was not in good health. And everybody knew that the kids did not want to keep running a shoe company gotcha. that, who would inherit the company. So he said, I'm going to take my knowledge and do a clothing line. But he wanted to get like manufacturing equipment, like big equipment, yeah. and he needed mass money. By that time, my dad's first cousin had been here in Seattle, and he had already started Jalisco Mexican Restaurant uh, down in Lower Queen Anne, okay. and it had popped off, and he needed help. So he brought my dad up, and he's like, look, if you wait tables with me here for just the summer, you'll make enough in a couple of years for your whatever machines you need. You just make hella. Yeah. So my dad took him up on it, and... He was here, busting tables. You know, I don't know if he did wash dishes, but I know for sure he was busting tables and cleaning, and waiting tables. Um, but he was here during the Reagan amnesty mm-hmm. in the early '80s. So Reagan in the early '80s passed an amnesty that basically allowed all the undocumented immigrants in the country mm-hmm. to work towards uh, a path of citizenship. Okay. So he decided to stay. He got talked into staying by his cousin who was running the restaurant and told him, yo, this is a great opportunity. Don't waste it. Just bring your family up here when you can. So we actually spent like most of our early youth not really seeing our dad. My brothers and I didn't really see him because he would be up here. Sometimes he would swing by for like a vacation or something when he could. But the the rules were really strict for that amnesty program. Mm -hmm. You couldn't really leave. I don't know the whole details of it, but... We didn't, I just know we didn't see him much. I, I was born in 80, uh, Aaron in 86, and my other brother in 83. And we probably, you know, first three years I didn't see him a lot, but by 84, 85, not much. But, um, yeah, by 88, he was able to petition my mom and my brothers to join him. Nice. So we got here and arrived on October 10th, 1988. Nice. And first, we lived in an apartment building down by the... Uh, Coliseum at the time before it became the Key Arena. Okay. And three years later, he had just done enough and he, he rented a house out here okay. in unincorporated King County by 91 or so. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you guys are rooted. Yeah, man. We've seen a lot of change in that time, man. <laughs> a lot of change. So how was that like reunion, you know, because your dad went oh, down whenever he could yeah. see you? But like, how was it when you guys finally were able to be? Oh, together? it was epic. I I remember very much running down like the, the, I guess the little whatever thing where you come out of the connective airplane to, oh, yeah, to the concourse, yeah. like in the movies. Yeah, I remember running because I remember your dad's over there, your dad's over there, <laughs> yeah. and I was trying to push my little brother away. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I wanted to get to him first. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember it was awesome. I jumped and I, and we hugged and it was great. It was like super epic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very emotional. Yeah. Chef's kiss. <laughs> uh, class of 98. Um, in terms of, did you go to college uh, after that? Yeah, so I went a couple years to Highline College. Nice. And Des Moines? Yep, Des Moines. Des Moines. Um, in high school, I started working at my dad's restaurant, like when I was 16, 17. Um, and, you know, I love Evergreen. It's, it's very rooted in everything that I, I am doing right now. Uh, it really taught me a lot about what it means to be part of a diverse community, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, all my friends ended up being from all different cultures, For Tongan, sure. uh, Laotian, mm-hmm. uh, different cultures that, you know, you just 
never really saw, yeah. but they were my friends, yo. Like, mm-hmm. these are my people. Um, so all the time, it really made it easy for me to meet and greet and just welcome other folks. Yeah. Um, just because it was really easy to see that we're all the same. Definitely. And that we were all young students trying to just get through education in an environment where most of our parents or a lot of our parents were having to really work hard to uh, make sure that we got that yeah. basic education. So I didn't get to see my dad much in, in the sense of him, him going to school events. Mm-hmm. He never went to like my basketball games. I played varsity for a couple of years. I was really, I think I like one year of freshman football, but our team was not that great in 1993, <laughs> 94. I think we were like, oh, we had not won a game in like two or three years. Pat, don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, so, but I, I was better at basketball, man. Basketball was always my jam. Yeah. And, and uh, Shorewood played a lot of basketball. That was a way to kind of like meet people and make friends. Yeah. Um, but my parents never really went to our events because yeah. they were just too busy having to work. Um, and um, yeah, man, uh, from there, uh, saw that I, my dad had a hard time. My mom had a hard time with finances, uh, the restaurant, you know, opening accounts and dealing with like calls from whatever, just setting up accounts for your house bills, setting up light, light, electricity, um, I had to do a lot of that initial translating for my mom as a teen. Gotcha. Um, so my first job, technically, I was an interpreter for my mom yeah. mm-hmm. for everything they needed to do, yeah. right? Um, and the hardest thing that I saw was that she would get super stressed out when it came to getting calls from like credit cards or the banks. Yeah. So I decided to go into business at Highline and learn about business administration. Okay. And after a couple of years, I just realized that school, I didn't really think it was for me. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. I just started to work. Um, I think I was like 20, and I realized that I was going to not have health insurance because oh. my parents never really had health insurance, so we depended on government-run health insurance. Yeah. But at a certain age, you age out of it, so you have to start thinking like, okay, where do I get health benefits? Yeah. Um, so I applied for a bank job at a teller. Um, so I was, while I was at Highline, I got a part-time job as a teller, and I was part-time waiter at the family restaurant. Um, and kind of got into banking and I was like, okay, my, I remember my mom and always stressing about overdraft fees and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes dealing with collections, things mm-hmm. like that. So I was like, you can't beat them, join them and yeah. learn about finances from the yeah. banks. There you go. Um, yeah. And then, and then I started to just realize that, you know, um, doing pretty good in, um, I worked my way up to opening accounts and doing some basic, yeah. um, mortgage loans and. Uh, equity loans Mm -hmm. and I was like I'll come back to school yeah and I just went straight all in into the 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 banking career and did did that last uh did did you end up going back to school after like the banking stuff or like did this segue into the like what you're doing now yeah no I completely dove in 100% to uh the finance work so I did not go back to school Mm -hmm. and that's still something that I have to doing my horizon to mm-hmm. go back. But I just dove in, man. When I started working for one of the big banks. Mm-hmm. I, just, I would just say one of the big banks. Yeah. <laughs> and moved really up quickly to open accounts, to being a, a personal banker, to doing business banking. And it's I found that with the big banks that it was just really all about churning numbers. Mm-hmm. They didn't really care about like the people they were the really setting up a bounce boards. Yeah. 
So when uh, an opportunity came to start up a new bank, mm-hmm. which was a Latino-focused bank, mm-hmm. I said, you know what? Why not? Why not me? Yeah. Um, I've been with, and throughout my whole time in banking, I was always you go to the, you will go help all the Spanish-speaking clients. Definitely. You're the Spanish-speaking specialist. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. Yeah. But I really felt like they weren't really helping our folks. Yeah. They didn't have products or loans or they made it really difficult especially if you're undocumented Mm -hmm. to set up bank accounts so i went to this startup bank to improve that yeah uh and we did that we did with the bank was great we had uh it was a start bank in kent so we were actually down in kent at the what do you call it the landing the landing yeah or the station the train station the station yeah yeah kent station not the land this uh, station um and we set up uh, bank services and accounts and loans. We did the first one of the first uh, loan programs for undocumented immigrants, nice. where you can't get a credit report if you're undocumented. Mm-hmm. But we said, just let's look at your bills. You're paying bills, mm-hmm. and if I can help you get a letter from your bill company, whether it's like your cell phone bill, your electric company, mm-hmm. your landlord, that tells me that you're you you're good with paying bills. So yeah. we did that. We kind of started a credit system from scratch mm-hmm. just to be able to give some small loans car loans so it's not a lot but yeah. still like a car mm-hmm. loan is like the first big investment that that an immigrant makes mm-hmm. um and i that really made, gave me a sense of like i'm actually helping yeah so i i said i'm gonna stick to this and go back to school later yeah um but then 2008 came the banking crisis came mm-hmm. banks all yeah. crashed the bank that we, i was at was called plaza bank it didn't crash at the time um, but, so I stayed there, uh, but everybody else kind of left. Yeah. So meaning the senior bankers, the more uh, uh, elder experience folks. So I was left alone to manage the branch with you know a couple of tellers. And I would also be the one that managed all the business loans and having to discuss with people like, I can't make payments, what can I do? And, yeah. and do arrangements and do what they call in that field uh risk management or workout mm-hmm. um and learning how to navigate like federal loan programs at the time obama had just gotten elected mm-hmm. and he kick-started a federal program similar to what the current president biden is doing mm-hmm. working with the small business administration yeah. to give guarantees to bank that if they do a loan even if the business doesn't make it mm-hmm. the the bank will get the, the money back from the government gotcha um and just work through that man learn a ton like about what businesses on the street really are dealing with right like having really intense conversations yeah because um, these are people's like you know their, their, their livelihoods yeah like, rough families like, yeah you know what do we do <laughs> yeah and my, and my parents were living through that same thing too yeah. right my, my dad and the restaurant that had brought us here ended up having to switch ownership and get sold and my, my dad uh, went unemployed and and it was community here in white center yeah that after like a year plus almost two years of him lurking looking because he was like 60 plus yeah uh it was my childhood friend um who connected him with a job at a local grocery store and here he is 60 something bagging groceries nice. trying to still take care of the family and yeah, that's that resilience is what like this community is about here in white center right mm-hmm. and living in an unincorporated area People are like, what's that mean? What's the unincorporated? That, like, that doesn't resonate. And it didn't resonate with me before. Yeah. But now, it totally means, like, there is no structures of support for 
you know, economic development, community development, whereas a city is meant to do those type of services for an urban area with a high density of people. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm starting to sound like a government worker. Yeah, but I sound like a, I'm using all the terms that I'm we so use at work. No, no, man, this is good. People need to understand. But I didn't, though, right? Like, I didn't, I never understood that. But um, connecting how finances at work, mm-hmm. where you live, are so rooted into what opportunities you get, For it sure. just started to just just click. Yeah. So, um, like 2015, I left that bank, or the bank left me actually. <laughs> uh, it didn't. It changed uh, directions. It it wanted to survive and be sold mm-hmm. because at that time, bank licenses were not being awarded. So it changed ownership. It was no longer a Latino-focused bank. And I stayed there a little bit longer than I probably should have because I just wanted to just make sure that my undocumented borrowers weren't uh, mistreated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, I got let go. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm unemployed, no degree, and only banking experience. So when I left banking or banking left me in 2015, mm-hmm. I just started just getting a lot into sports. So I was really learning about Twitter and stuff. And I started to apply for jobs and sports related things. Could not get a job, man. <laughs> I was like, man, that, that not going to school or not finishing my degree is really, really, really feeling it right now. So um, it didn't matter. I ended up going to this nonprofit. A friend of mine who left the bank uh, went to a nonprofit that did loans. And they needed somebody that knew how to work with their portfolio on loans that were not doing good to try to work things out with them, right? People refer to it as collections or risk management. Yeah. And I was like, that's the last damn thing I want to do, you know? <laughs> but I need a job. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, I was like, having to look. Who, who's loans, though? Uh, so business loans. So business they would loans. do business loans to communities with le- that don't have access to business loans. So oh, okay. Native American communities. Some some very rural towns and also immigrant and people mm-hmm. of color communities, right? That was their mission, to do small business loans for equipment, for uh, working capital. Um, and I applied to be a lender, mm-hmm. but they gave the job to somebody else. And then they said, but we'd like for you, your experience with this bank when it went down, we think you'd do good in this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I can either take this job that I really don't think I'm going to like. Or I don't, but I might have to get rid of some of my season tickets. There's some heavy stakes here, man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I said, okay, whatever. I'll, I'll do it. It's all good. Maybe I'll go three, four months and maybe I'll get a job doing mm-hmm. I was trying to do social media, right? Like back then, 2014, 15, Twitter's popping off. Instagram is brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, and I joined Sounders. Um, when they came on board, I joined like a supporter culture group. It's a... Within soccer, you have what they call the soccer supporters Mm -hmm. or uh, the more um, involved fans that really, really create the atmosphere at stadiums. Kind of like the 12th man is for the Seahawks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But they're organized Mm -hmm. and they are independent of the club, meaning that um, you don't take money from the club, you uh, set up you know, flags, uh, you do what they call TIFO, which is like banners and mm-hmm. signs to, you know, hype up the crowd. Yeah. You sing chants and songs 
rooted in the team and the history of plays mm-hmm. uh, at the stadium. And, you know, you have drums, so you make the atmosphere. And I was like, man, this is dope. And there was a Latino subgroup of that. Mm-hmm. So so we started to be able to bring, like, our own traditions of so- soccer in Latin America. We had uh, umbrellas, because umbrellas are a thing in sections. Okay. Colorful umbrellas. Okay. And all the colors are always sounders, green, or blue related. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just got just really connected. It was, like, a really good sense of community. Yeah. Um, and I found that I ha- I was meeting with other Latino, like young professionals, an educator, someone that worked for the city of Seattle website department, mm-hmm. uh, an attorney. Uh, and I was like, all of these peers mm-hmm. that are doing careers, all speaking the same language as people that look like me. Yeah. So it was really empowering to be around that. And yeah. I was like, shit, I'm also doing that kind of stuff. I'm also yeah. a business <laughs> banking person. And it's okay that I, maybe I didn't finish school, mm-hmm. um, but I'm grinding. I'm doing what I can. Yeah. Um, but I just really connected with that community tightly. Um, so much so that I would start a podcast with friends. I, Cole, I joined. I didn't start it. Yeah. And we started, we went to their, the Sounders kept growing. They did great every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the team would highlight its sections because they were loud and we did really cool stuff. Yeah. And they started a minor league team, uh, 2019, I want to say maybe seven, no, 17 or 16. And I went to the practice field to test out one of the new, uh, social media apps. Um, it was when, I mean, it's now basically TikTok, but back in the day, oh, it was, um, uh, Twitter Panna, where you could like live shot. What you call it? Panorama? Not panorama. No, but live shot. No, what do you mean? Uh, Periscope. Yeah, it was Periscope. So I was like, "Hey, for the podcast, let me go test out Periscope at this uh, tryout of this minor league team, so we can try out doing Periscope within our podcast." And I went to the field, and then the it was a young, you know, these are all like 17, 16, 18 year olds trying out for a minor league soccer team. And in the game in Mexico or Latin America, not just Mexico. When there's a goal, there's a like it's very lively. It's yeah. like <laughs> goal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. So I got into it, y'all. Yeah. Like I got into it periscoping, and I was just staying in because I was. Periscope in, and I had some of our podcast friends following online, mm-hmm. and I didn't know, but the general manager for the actual Sounders team was there scouting the youth team, and he sent their general manager for the youth team to chat with me, like, yo, we're about to launch this minor league team. Yeah. Would you mind being that for the stadium? It's not in Century Link. It's here. It's Starfield, and it's for youth. And I was like sure like uh, would I be paid you're like yeah I mean it's not a lot but yeah there'd be a stipend mm-hmm. like okay so I was probably gonna be going anyways and yeah. now I get to get paid for going there mm-hmm. uh, but it was dope man I uh, got a chance to uh, do announcing for their minor league team Sounders 2 and I really pushed for them to they give you reads like a script right for the game at this minute say this at this minute say that Yeah. but I pushed them to do Spanish reads um, and slowly and surely, a lot of the Spanish reads I would do. So I would repeat the goals and uh, celebrations and things in Spanish. Nice. And they got comfortable enough that when the Sounders and the U.S. men's national team would play at CenturyLink Field against a team from Latin America where they wanted to have 
announcements at the stadium read in Spanish. Mm-hmm. They're like, Hugo, come come do that here. So I got a chance to do CenturyLink Spanish language announcements at CenturyLink for like the main Sounders team with some of the players that came from all over the world. I think that was an international tournament uh, where the U.S. played versus Ecuador. And I think even uh, Argentina was here. So I didn't get to televise it or broadcast it but i would do the lineup starting for you know so and so i would get to call out the names of the players and stuff and it was so cool (laughs) was that surreal for you it was surreal it was crazy like Mm -hmm. here i am like from you know being on the stands chanting waving da 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 like tweeting about the players to now i'm saying their name as they walk onto the field yeah, you manifest it into reality. No, I, I, you know, I was just loud. I'm just, I'm just loud. And I'm when I like something, I'm all in. Yeah. Like, let's go. Um, and while I'm doing all that, this little job that I didn't want turned out to be the best decision, best job I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, that nonprofit that did all these little loans to businesses that didn't have access to capital um, was really about their mission meaning that they actually tried to do loans to people that don't have access, like uh, black immigrants, uh, people of color, um, and in rural areas as well. Uh, and I started to do loans for like native fishermen out of the Quinault tribe down nice. by Westport mm-hmm. uh, to finance their commercial fishing boats. And these aren't like little boats. These are like a like couple hundred thousand dollar big commercial fishing boats. Um to cheese manufacturers, to small cafe owners. So I got to work on some really cool, um, I ended up doing not just risk management, but also uh, what they would refer, would be referred to as um, outreach and research for better deployment of capital. So basically I was part of a small team that said, how about we try a little bit differently Mm -hmm. on how we search for folks to help and change our guidelines on how we approve the loans to be more accessible. So I was like, let's do undocumented immigrant loans. Mm -hmm. And they changed certain guidelines and policies to do that. Um, And just, I started doing more of the, um, not necessarily selling and looking for businesses but mm-hmm. like once they came into that apply mm-hmm. to analyzing and making recommendations so it was really cool man um with their uh, loans for like some amazing joints uh i wasn't the main person working it but i was part of the team that did it so yeah. for like example uh oh man what's that filipino uh cafe joint that oh. makes a cheesecake. Ube cheesecake. Oh, oh, uh, 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 uh Hood Famous. Hood, Hood Famous. Shara Amla. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and then Gio run that. Yeah, joint. that's right. Yeah. So we, um, so when they were doing the construction build out of the cafe, yeah. I was part of the team at the nonprofit Craft 3 that uh, did the financing for their remodeling of that whole space. That's so I had to go there with them cool. to help them keep on track to the budget, make sure that the contractors were not going over budget. Yeah and manage that build out so it was really cool to connect with them as they're putting their vision to reality man that, that oh yeah so the stuff yeah and there's a tons of them point. though there's a, t- a lot of other entrepreneurs like that yeah. um i didn't work on it as much but recently uh my my colleague at that that joint was this uh, woman amazing woman she's a great entrepreneur and not entrepreneur, but a great lender and community lender. She uh, did loans for um, uh, Brown Girl Cooks, mm-hmm. who recently opened up her restaurant, um, Communion, 
Yes. Communion. Which just got like the... One of the best in the world, yeah. right? Oh. Yeah. And it was Craft 3, the nonprofit that I ended up going to, was a part of the team that helped them get to that point. That's fantastic. Um, and it really showed me that you can be in finance and do uh, capitalistic environment work mm-hmm. with uh, with a purpose and a yeah. mission. Yeah, because a lot of people typically, you know, think, oh, they just want your money. Exactly. They just want the, you know, yeah, and I had done that, you know. Yeah. I had done that. I had experienced that. It's yeah. all about uh, in shareholder mm-hmm. uh, value, yeah. right? Like increasing the value to the shareholders, whereas with these um, nonprofits. So there's a segment of finance and banking called Community Development Financial Institutions, CDFIs. Okay. And they're basically recognized by the treasury as a lending institution or or a uh, a bank per se but they're not banks they don't have deposit accounts they don't have investment accounts credit cards they focus on lending for projects that are revolving or revolve around community development gotcha. most of those orgs are around housing yeah. so for example affordable housing is affordable but it's hard and expensive to build yeah so you have uh, community organizations like Capitol Hill Housing or others that they'll finance that. They'll get money from the state, from the feds, and say, okay, we'll finance some affordable projects. Um, they were part of the group with the city of Seattle that uh, financed, uh, I think, El Centro de la Raza's building. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also were part of the group that did, I think, uh, the Liberty Bank project, which okay. is now where Communion, the restaurant, mm-hmm. is at. Yeah. Um, but there's a few of these orgs that do business financing, mm-hmm. small business lending. And Craft 3 was one of those, that they do business loans, not affordable housing loans. Gotcha. And they tend to do loans for people that get rejected by banks. Okay. But they're like a bridge lender to get you in. Um, so my experience working there was like, man, I felt like, this is where I can actually use my experience growing up in unincorporated County White Center mm-hmm. to help folks like my parents who had a hard time with finances yeah. get a little bit of access to capital to do what we all want to do, which is you know have uh, a chance to develop where we grew up and advance our kids' um, careers and education opportunities. Hopefully, you buy a home mm-hmm. so you can start creating uh, equity and wealth. And yeah. Um, and from there, an opportunity came for me to join the government. Um, now, is this uh, uh, in terms of like King County? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so I, you're well, you're. Uh, you want to say the first half? Yeah, I'll say because your title is 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 extensive. It's very it's it's, it's, it's super long. Right? It's, <laughs> yeah, but it's like, super. I call it wonky. It's really wonky. <laughs> the, uh, you are the chair of the Berean Economic Development Partnership. Yeah. And Berean Planning Commissioner and Economic Manager for uh, King, yes. County. King County. So two things. So one is I work for uh, uh, my brother encouraged me to apply for a government job at, mm-hmm. at King County. Is it Aaron? Or? Aaron. Yeah, yeah. He is like my role model when it comes to community work, right? And like being thoughtful about what you invest your time in. Definitely. And. He knew that I really liked the work I did at Craft 3, but he's like, yo, there's this opportunity that, that King County is doing a new department that's going to focus on the unincorporated areas. Well, I think that you would be great for this position. Um, and 
it would be serving White Center, but also Skyway, also Vashon, and uh, many other areas of the county that are unincorporated. And I was like, um, I'm good. I'm good. I love where I'm at. So I'm, I'm good. I'm going to stay at Craft 3. Yeah. And I didn't apply. So I stayed at Craft 3 and I kept doing my sounder stuff and kept doing fundraising and traveling uh, to watch. I went, I mean, sports were my thing. It was, you know, craft, career, and sports. Um, But the the job didn't get filled and he pushed me back like, yo, it's still available. (laughs) Telling you, try it. And part of me was like, why am I going to waste my time, man? It's a high position government opportunity, but I didn't have a college degree. Mm -hmm. Um, and those kind of jobs just didn't really feel like it was for me. Yeah. So I didn't really feel like I would get it. Um, but my brother kept saying like, you're already doing the work, man. Like you're already doing the work. Yeah. Show them that you're doing the work and you're good. So I was like, all right, worst case scenario, I'll practice on, on, you know, an interview interview and do all that. Um, so yeah, so I did. And, um, I really relayed about that kind of what I just shared with you all about yeah. that path, right? Um, and how really I've been, I've stayed home, stayed close to home. Yeah. And sure enough, I ended up getting the position. Like uh, a lot of people applied for it. And, and it... I, oh, sorry. Oh, I was yeah, going to no. say, how did it feel like, you know, because... You know, you yeah, no, that. it was crazy, man. It was like, holy cow, <laughs> did I really do this? Like, yeah. uh, I remember... Um, it was intensive because it was multiple rounds of interviews and da da da. And finally, when I was in the final two spots and I got the call, um, I was out of the country at the time, but immediately called my dad. Um, I was with my partner and I was in a car in a town in the Yucatan. Uh, and I remember we had just left this place and made amazing cochinita pibil. Oh, is that the? Uh, I just watched this on the the, the Taco yeah, Chronicles on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what you're talking about. It's amazing. So it's very similar to. Um, it's basically you know, uh, uh, pork that's typically cooked underground. So very similar to a lot of other cultures that have their own roasted pork or right. Um, and this little area of the Yucatan, which is the southernmost point of Mexico. So it's kind of like close to like where Cuba is on um, alignment. So it's, gotcha. so it's very tropical. Yeah. And um, we just had this these amazing little tacos from this meat. Um, and I was in the car and the call came and I was like, oh, God, I can't believe it, but I can't believe it. Like, Let's go. Let's go. These tacos are amazing. You just got the job. This is a sign. Let's go. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, no, it, you know, within a couple of weeks, started making that transition. But that work was really about learning about how the unincorporated areas mm-hmm. are disenfranchised yes. and how an area of this size should have a team of like 10 people, right? Mm-hmm. Like the city of Seattle has an economic office of economic development, mm-hmm. which is like a staff of like 30 people to serve Seattle. Yeah. King County had never had an economic development person. And then they brought this one department and I was able to get the first position to try to start up a department for them. But it covers not just White Center, it covers Skyway, it covers Vashon, it covers unincorporated Fall City. I mean, 250,000 people live in unincorporated areas. If you take all those people and put them like in a place all together, it would be the second biggest city outside of Seattle and King County. But they're all spread apart over a huge mass 
geographical area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is really just a wonky title, Economic Development Program Manager, for somebody that's supposed to be a supporter to, to businesses. You're yeah. supposed to really support businesses with what they call retention and expansion. Mm-hmm. Retention is just a funky, a wonky term saying keep businesses alive. Yeah. And expansion is help them expand, to help them grow and bring businesses to the area. Gotcha. Right? Um, while I was doing that it was during 2015-16, uh, I didn't get hired till 2019, actually. But during that time, we had our previous uh, presidential election. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing attacks about towards immigrants in 2017. Yeah. And by then, I had gotten annexed to uh, white, my, where I grew up in one incorporated white center, got annexed to the city of Buren. Gotcha. And we became officially Buren residents. Yeah. So I saw that 2017 on the civic side of things, um, personal. Like, immigrants were getting targeted. Eye sweeps were happening. The president was really against immigrants, refugees. Mm-hmm. And our little city of Buren, where I now had gotten added to from 2010, but I actually had been growing up in that space my entire uh, life, did not want to pass a sanctuary city ordinance to protect and speak up for immigrants, even though 25% of the Buren population is Latinx. Yeah. Uh, I believe 7 or 8% are Asian. Five percent are black, so it became like a really personal thing. Like, why are you crazy? Like, what's going on? Yeah. And just to be honest, I had never ever known who the Buren City Council people were. Mm-hmm. I had no prior to 2017. I was like, I don't know who I voted for City Council. I was not like engaged mm-hmm. because I've always thought those people don't relate to me. They don't know what's going on. They yeah. didn't, you know. So why pay attention? Yeah. But then after the C, I saw uh, an RV by my house get tagged up really big with effing Mexicans. Uh, it became personal because it was really close to my house. The yeah. city's now not wanting to become an, or a, a sanctuary city. Mm-hmm. So with some community members, we started going to council meetings and voicing like, this is wrong. Y'all need to vote for this. So we started organizing um, with organizations like Para Los Niños, um, there's a group called Colectiva Legal del Pueblo, which is collective legal collective of the people, which is a nonprofit, um, women-led uh, attorney, immigrant attorney firm, and just start doing the civic engagement that generally the government institution that was set up by the structures that tend to be white was set up. So we started to just dive into it, right? And we started writing letters. We started calling the council members. We started bringing in activists from immigrant communities saying this is wrong, this is wrong, to make sure that the council would vote for Sanctuary City. And it worked. Some of those things actually happened. Um, And then I realized that I have to pay more attention to local government because Mm -hmm. growing up in an unincorporated, we didn't have a mayor, we didn't have nothing, so I didn't know any of it, right? It didn't matter. Mm -hmm. But now that I got annexed to the city of Buren, even though I've been here for all this time, I'm going to pay attention. Yeah. So I joined the, the small local governments set up kind of like committees mm-hmm. and they have a commission or like, okay, if you're interested in parks or you have a background in the environment, we're going to have 10 positions, volunteers. So they extract knowledge from people mm-hmm. and you will make recommendations to the city council on where to invest on parks, policies, ordinances, things like that. Gotcha. And, um, in, Get involved. We helped um, candidates of color get elected because we fe- we wanted more representation. Yeah. 
so I, after seeing how that change can make impact, I learned that if I join this planning commission, I can be part of this group that gets to make recommendations to the council on land use, zoning, how they want to address affordable housing. And I was like, oh man, this is where really, like, like the change. really change can happen yeah. is land use, zoning, and like it opened my eyes into um, how go local government impacts everything we do mm -hmm. and how everything gets touched by that. Yeah. Um, so then I joined another commission at the city of Buren, the business, the Buren Economic Development Partnership, mm -hmm. which is really just wonky titles, man, for we need people with your voice mm -hmm. to share with you what you think is the good vision for the city. They're volunteer roles. Okay. So you don't get paid. You are basically sharing your knowledge and making recommendations. The business one is basically on policies, for example, on um, the city of Burien doesn't allow food trucks. Yeah, I was just reading something in the paper about that just recently. Are you yep. serious? Yeah, yeah they, they don't. Yeah. You can have food trucks for events in Buren. White Center, you can. What is their reasoning? <laughs> they are, you know, they don't see it as a need. Mm -hmm. They have, they want to focus on brick and mortar restaurants. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, we can go all day. <laughs> yeah. But there also things on like uh, plastic use. Yeah. Um, how to recruit and invite businesses into the area, things like that, which is work that I'm also doing for my personal career job, but in the White Center specifically or any mm -hmm. corporate county. Gotcha. But I live in Buren now. Yeah. Um, so I joined these commissions and I've gotten to understand how local policies and ordinances mm -hmm. impact, right? So a, an easy example is that we recommended last year a food truck ordinance so that the city of Buren would begin to allow food trucks. We knew it was going to be a tough time to do it because it was in the middle of COVID. So we said, let's, let's do this after COVID next year, 2021, mm -hmm. and we'll only do food trucks in areas that don't have many, as many restaurants. So in the city of Buren, you're looking at Boulevard Park mm -hmm. and the North Ambon Corridor. Gotcha. And let's start it there. Yeah. Uh, the recommendation was passed. Council members actually really liked it and said, nah, let's put them everywhere. We really need food trucks everywhere. Yeah. But there was pushback. Restaurant owners are like, are you guys crazy? We're in the <laughs> middle of a pandemic. We're not even open at capacity and you're bringing more competition to us. So, unfortunately, the pushback came back to council, and they decided to delay the food truck thing. So now we're gonna have to wait six months after we're fully reopened before food trucks can begin to test out beer. But that's just one little policy. Yeah. Like affordable housing, mass transit, how close to mass transit things are built. Mm -hmm. um, these are all things that these commissions touch on for cities. Yeah. Unincorporated. Uh -huh doesn't have that. Yeah. You have your King County Council who does a lot of that, but you do have the voice of organizations like the Diaz Foundation, like the White Center Community Development Association, like Skyway Coalition. Yeah. But those are volunteer community-based groups that have to you know, motivate and coach and fight for and suggest to council the type of investments that they want for those areas. Yeah. Um so all that has kind of got me to the point where I'm like you know what? Even though running for an election can be stressful, yeah, can be um, you know a little bit fearful because yeah. some politicians get you know uh, targeted. Yeah, um, I'm already doing the work, yeah. you know? So why not uh, run for Buren City Council 
and be at that final table. Yeah. Since I've mm-hmm. already been on these commissions and make recommendations, I've spent two meetings a month on each. I've done community development work with small nonprofit. I grew up in a small business environment with, as an immigrant. Um, and I'm a big supporter of lived experience makes a big difference when it comes to the people that are at that final table, yeah. council table, commission table, making decisions. Definitely. Man, that's that. That's amazing. <laughs> that's that's, that's the amazing work that you do. Uh, Thank you. Is uh, um, no, for sure. He has you like have so much experience, and like you said, to be at the final table, yeah. you have so much to bring to the table. Yeah, you exactly. understand from the bottom all the way to yeah. the top. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm really loud about is um, trying to just let people know, like anybody can do this, right? Yeah. You just have, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be investment of your time, but mm-hmm. but if I can do it, I don't have a college degree. Um, it's about just grinding and trying to, Mm -hmm. trying to do things for what you believe in. I think a lot of us can make that change and a lot of people are doing that change. You know, you have everybody here that I've seen, um, doing that type of work, uh, ask, pushing for more, uh, uh, housing ownership, uh, property investments, pushing for more leadership developments, working with youth. I mean, all that work is related. All that work is tied to this. Sure. So, yeah. Fantastic, man. I love it. Love it. White Center, Miriam, stand up. Let's go. Stand all the way up. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, so, since we on we on that path, um, the campaign, man. Uh, how, how's it, how did, how, hmm, this is a, this is a, this is a good, this is a, one of those questions, because it's like, like, to advocate for yourself and telling people why you should, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like, it's a little awkward, right? Even though I love talking, I yeah. usually love talking about other people or highlighting orgs or fundraising or events. And in this case, you're going to, I have to flip the script yeah. and ask those all those people to um, support me and maybe give money to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not really about me. It's really about all the things that I want to do for us. Yeah. So it's really investing in the visions of the community that I believe is similar, similarly aligned to those visions that we all have. Um, so for me, you know, housing for all is a huge component of, of uh, why I'm doing this. Meaning my parents, we were pretty privileged, even as immigrants, that my dad was able to rent a house eventually own a house um he took tra- bus transit to downtown seattle for 30 years to to wait tables to make sure he could own this house right yeah. but it allowed us uh, a place to be to grow and develop within this community mm-hmm. he's a, it's a working family my mom when we got a little older she worked part-time as a lunch lady mm-hmm. um so they were able to afford to live here as working parents and i don't know if today a waiter could raise a kid here in white center or buren with the salary of that right so that's why i want to make sure that as the city grows and as housing becomes um you know more uh, expensive Mm -hmm. that people think about those affordable ways to get to keep affordable housing Uh, including folks that are having challenges with being in the streets, right? Homeless housing is super critical. It's touching everything we do. Everything. Um, and it's, it's, it's a bit of a change in what I do and having to ask people to, to believe in me, but it's mm-hmm. been amazing to get that support. Um, 
you do learn that politics means that you have to have a little bit of money. Yeah. Because you have to promote what you believe in and get in front of like, in this case, for a small city of beer, and you have to get in front of about 10,000 people to six to 10,000 have to vote for you, recognize your name and say, OK, I think this guy can maybe do a good job. But yeah. even myself, I never realized who my elected person in Buren was yeah. from 2010 when I got annexed to 2016 when Trump got elected. I never paid attention locally. Yeah. So most people don't. So it's all about repetition, putting out flyers, doing mailers, uh, posters, yard signs, going out to events. Uh, and it's expensive. So I've been doing fundraising. Um, I've been really successful in getting support from the, all those Sounders friends that I've made on Twitter. Nice. I stay really connected on there through that. And a lot of my initial events has been trying to connect my Buren community with my Sounders community um, because they've all encouraged me all this time, dude, you need to be running because you, you run your mouth all the time about trying to make how you know, annoyed you are with Trump and everything that's going on. Like, run, run, run. So. Yeah. We're getting there, man. Now it's been filing week just ended. It's mm-hmm. official where you had to sign up with King County Elections mm-hmm. and your name will go on a ballot. In, in this case, it will be a primary. So yeah. there's actually two elections. Okay. There's a primary in August because I now have more than two people running. So there's three people running for my position. And in August, those three will go on a ballot. And the two of the three that get the most votes will then go on to the second round in the November election. Gotcha. Mm. Um, so right now, like things are going to really speed up for me. I have to go to as many community events as I can to just let people know, hey, I know we're all sick and tired of elections after what happened <laughs> last year with Trump and Biden. Yeah. But non-presidential year elections mm-hmm. for small local are super are not really, people don't pay a lot of attention. So people are like, nah, I'm good. This is not an important one. Yeah. So I really need to get the word out that it is important. Gotcha. Um, because otherwise, you're going to have people that um, are going to maybe not be aligned to that. People that want to vote for things that don't support affordable housing, that want market incentives to support affordable housing and let the market itself take care of affordability. Gotcha. Um, so it's going to like be a lot more work recently, yeah, because basically there's an election coming up in August that not a lot of people really understand. Yeah. And I have to hopefully get enough votes to get to that final two. And so what have you been doing to try to get people involved, especially yeah. now since, I mean, things are lifting up a little bit, but yes. I know you've had like Zoom events. Yeah, yeah. How do you yeah. get people involved So for sure, I love that question. Thank you so much for that. Um, it's been a challenge virtually right now because of COVID, right? You can't yeah. gather. Yeah. Currently, we're we're just now opening up. I'm now fully vaccinated. It's been about three weeks, and uh, I hosted uh, first a couple virtual events. Mm-hmm. One was a kickoff, um, and now I've done a couple in person events. Last uh, Sunday, we did a, uh, a watch party where we watched the Sounders mm-hmm. uh, in Boulevard Park, right. which is a part of uh, Buren that used to be White Center. Yep. And only has two restaurants, one coffee shop, and a dollar store. Yep. And a branch <laughs> that's now in a branch. Yeah, exactly. And a branch is now closed. There's no bank there, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so we hosted an event. Had about twenty people there. A couple uh, people, not a couple. I want to say like seven or eight of those are people that were from Buren that are fans of the Sounder and are like, okay, now we know what you're doing. Yeah. Tomorrow, I'm doing a backyard uh, barbecue with uh, a neighbor who's been working with me on some immigrant activist uh, work. 
couple years ago, three years ago, there was a group of beer neighbors that set up a Migra watch. Basically, it was like six people, seven people that would, when there was rumors that immigration was doing raids mm-hmm. near White Center or Buren, we would go to the site of the rumor mm-hmm. to make sure that we could document yeah. if there was a raid, that things were being done properly, right? Yeah. Um, and she's one of the organizers of that group, and she's hosting a backyard barbecue in Buren tomorrow, so there's about 20 of her neighbors. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing some tacos, and I'm just going to share kind of what I share with y'all, yeah. like mm-hmm. what I shared about why I'm doing this. Yeah. And hopefully get them to uh, get my name, share their name to neighbors, donate potentially. Um, uh, we have a video that we're about to launch in the next couple of days. That, nice. Uh, I've been going out to produce. Um, my campaign manager uh, is amazing. My entire volunteer team are all friends, yeah. right? These aren't people that, that I've hired to do work. It's all people that have been part of this journey with me the last four years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for real. Uh, Shalom, shout out to Shalom. That's right, Shalom. Uh, amazing community faith leader, uh, amazing woman. Uh, she's just keeping me on track. Uh, and everybody on the squad, everybody, Megan, uh, Pablo. I got folks that work for the city of Seattle helping with uh, the websites for the city, making sure my website's working okay. They make sure that they grab names of the website so that other opponents wouldn't grab the name and try to nice. do something. Um, but yeah, the she you know she helped connect with a young Filipino uh, videographer that just graduated from I think Gonzaga and he's starting his uh, videography business, and we're gonna send out a video tomorrow, and likely in the next two three weeks start doing some doorbelling events where hopefully I can get five to ten folks to come join me and go out to neighborhoods we think are critical to votes okay. where we want people to make sure they know about my name. Yeah, just knock on on, on doors, say hey. Well, we're friends of Hugo, or if me and I'm Hugo, and love to tell you a little bit about why I'm running for city council. And then in August, you're gonna get a name ballot. Please vote for me. Yeah. I know you talk a lot about like economic growth and in like low income areas. And as like a young adult, the dream is to like afford a house. Mm-hmm. And I want to one day like own my own house, but I don't really know how to go about that. Like, what steps do I need to take? So, uh, you know, I went through that myself. And for, like, anybody else who's listening. Yeah, so I went through that myself. Um, First is um, finding out, you know, what your budget is to what you want to buy. Generally, buying a house is really challenging, especially nowadays, because most places will ask you to have a down payment Mm -hmm. of anywhere 5 to 20% of the value of the house. Yeah. And nowadays, with values being so high... um, it's just really, really challenging, right? Because three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars, you're looking having to have twenty, forty G saved up. Um, there's a few courses that you could probably take up on getting ready to buy a house. You whether you go through a nonprofit, uh, I know for sure Centro de la Raza has ownership ownership classes that kind of help you understand how to prepare a budget for it. Um, that's one part of it. I ended up buying a house with my brother. Because we couldn't afford to buy our own house independently because the market was too expensive, even mm-hmm. in 27, 2007. Yeah. So we bought a duplex. A duplex is basically two houses in one. It's like a townhouse, but we share the space. There's a wall. I have my own kitchen, my own everything. My, we just share like laundry room. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the concessions that I made when I bought a house because I, I wanted to stay close to here. I could afford to go to Cannes and get a condo. I could afford to go to like Federal Way and get a, a one-bedroom condo, but I wanted to stay close to here. 
So first is decide where do you want to live mm -hmm. and finding out what the market value for the average homes is and trying to get into some um, uh, first-time home buyer programs. Um, currently, one of the uh, programs that we promoted as a planning commission in Buren was a affordable housing demonstration project, which is a fancy way of saying we're going to do three years of allowing affordable housing developments to come to Buren and we will be flexible with some of the requirements that the city does for developers. So one of those projects was a 43 unit um, Habitat for Humanity uh, house ownership development that's going to be built uh, off 136 by the 7-Eleven. Mm -hmm. um, that program is tailored towards affordable house, affordable um, moderate low-income households, but it's a sweat equity program where you basically sign up to help build a house. Oh. Um, so it's just about finding some of those programs. Um, there's Those are um, standard market programs for affordable housing. There's also more innovative programs. There's You could hunt housing on your own and try to do a model of rent-to-own model where you potentially negotiate with somebody to rent the house and you get first dibs at purchasing it at a set price into the future. Mm -hmm. um, but you really want to make sure that you have like really thorough support on the legal side when it comes to negotiating things like that um, to make sure you have like an attorney and a broker to kind of make sure that you, you are very careful in negotiating. Uh, I would just encourage you to start with like a home ownership workshop or class and um i can look for some for you to recommend you to for sure awesome. and look into the habitat for humanity okay. um it's uh, it's a great way to get into entry your first home ownership and mm -hmm. um it's also still nearby here it's gonna be in buren mm -hmm. yeah. cool. awesome i love that question that's great yeah, yeah. we're out here trying to trying to it's need to though you need to though right like yeah and i could have talked more on on housing affordability and it's really really challenging um the land that we're on is not going to grow right it's a set fixed amount of land mm -hmm. but more and more people are coming yeah so cities have to adjust the way that they promote how housing is built Meaning that you, sh you know, it's going to be really challenging to have enough housing for everybody and have it affordable mm -hmm. if you only have single family homes, mm -hmm. like one house, big lot, huge yard, like that's only going to fit one family, right? Yeah. You need to start looking, and a lot of the region is looking to bring in back what they call the missing middle housing. Missing middle housing is housing that provides... Uh, multiple units for multiple families under single lots. Okay. So like a duplex. Like I was able to stay here because we got a duplex. Yeah. A triplex, quadruplex, or cottage housing where you put small cottage housing, five or six into it, and it's like a small community within the community. Gotcha. So you're going to see a trend where multiple cities are going to look into changing their zoning and land use to pr make it easier to build like that versus just single family homes. Gotcha. Now there's always pros and cons, right? Meaning with more people, 
more traffic. Yeah. So you have to make sure that a lot of these housing developments are close to main road or something. And main like transit and yeah. mass transit. You also have to be thoughtful of like, great, like right now there's going to be an H line here in, in yeah. improvement, it's right? All through White Center to Buren. Yeah. yeah. An H line is an express line. They're going to reinvest a ton and change the roads so that it's, you get to downtown Seattle and Buren fast. Yeah. Going through White Center. Mm-hmm. It's great. We need it. But what hasn't been discussed is something that I want to bring up to the table, like, which is great. It's going to bring property value improvements to that corridor. So how are we going to make sure that people aren't displaced, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning, within the mile of this improvement, the cities, the county should look into anti-displacement strategies. Mm-hmm. Like start um, sending uh, lease negotiation workshops. Like teach people that are renting yeah. all around there how to make sure they renegotiate their lease when it's due before all these improvements are done because otherwise their rents are going to get jacked up. Oh, man. So you have to have think about those impacts of these great investments. Uh, so you need to do lease uh, workshops for folks uh, near all these investments. You need to do home ownership workshops so that people that are currently renting and all this improvement gets done in two, three years, they have two, three years to save up to buy their house where they're renting in this area. Uh, you also have to do tenant right improvements, right? Like certain... Areas have good tenant rights, like the city of Seattle has some, the city of Erin, we passed a tenant rights improvement so that people couldn't just get kicked out without a notice yeah. after their leases are up. So you got to look into improving those things so that as infrastructure improvements are coming to the area, like this H line, um, you know, most of our communities, we're not worried about gentrification. We want things to change and look nicer. Mm-hmm. We're really worried about getting displaced. Yeah. Yes. We want to be able to stay in this area and take be a and benefit from all these improvements. Yeah. So, um, when you're looking at home ownership, you want to look at, at a lot of that, right? It's kind of like a big picture, short, uh, long-term goals, short-term goals. Like, where do I want to live? Where do I see myself going? Meaning, what kind of career do I want to commute to work? Where, because where you decide is going to impact how much you're going to need. And then mm-hmm. trying to like prepare in advance for that. And know your zoning. Meaning, if you're where you're at right now, right? Right at the 116th by the Mini Mart. Mm-hmm. That's a great area to stay at. Because that H line is going to go right by there. Mm-hmm. So you want to find a way to stay close to that area. Because that's where you currently live. Yeah. Right? So how can I get into home ownership to where I'm at? If you're currently renting, like... Find out from the owner, like, what's your timeline for buying and trying to get in position to get pre-approved for a loan to make an offer on the house. It's easier said than done, though. Like, yeah. There's a lot of steps in between. Yeah. But. Seeing my parents, like, uh, told me that my parents bought a, got a new joint in uh, Des Moines and just seeing the, um, the, the process and the meticulousness and the paperwork and the emails and yeah, it's it's like, we got the money, yeah. we got the stuff, <laughs> but you know, there's all the stuff in between, all the stuff in between, and you know, just you know, wanting to find that place that's right for yeah, you. Yeah, and it's challenging because, like, for folks, we want to stay close to where we're at. Yeah, but yeah. it's just so more, exp- so much more expensive that you're seeing like a lot of half. Like, I'm still in touch with friends from high school, right, from Evergreen, 
they moved to Sumner. They moved to like Auburn. I'm like, what are they like, doing way out there? Yeah. <laughs> it's and it's because it's cheaper. Yeah. yeah. And they were able to find a job for them mm-hmm. that worked out there. Right. Um, for me, it just wouldn't. Right. Like I'm working in Seattle in King County in this area. So I'm not going to try to go out to Tacoma. Yeah. I love Tacoma. Tacoma's dope. But I'm not trying to do an hour plus commute each yeah. way back. Oh, yeah. Things are changing, though. Working from home is becoming popular. So you kind of kind of look at all those things. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome, man. Y'all, go vote for Hugo. Uh, He's uh, planning to do some really big things uh, in our community. Uh, Thank you for being here again with us, and uh, we will catch you guys on another time. Thank you for listening. Inside White Center, peace. Yeah. Thanks, guys. That was awesome, man. I forgot to record it.